Hi guys, uh, Pastor Greg Corcoran here from Battlefield Baptist Church. Uh, pray that this sermon is a blessing, an encouragement, and a challenge to you in your walk with the Lord. Additionally, I just wanted to say that if we here at Battlefield can ever be a blessing to you, please don't hesitate to contact us. And the best way to do that is through our website at battlefieldbaptist.org. Again, I pray this sermon blesses you, encourages you, and uh, that you'll fall more in love with God, more in love with His Word, and more in love with people. Well, isn't God good? Amen. Well, thank you guys so much, first of all, for being here today. What a blessing, man. If you're visiting with us, uh, you have honored us by being here, and uh, I'm just so thankful that you're here. I would encourage you, as Travis said, man, get a connection card or type visitor uh, to the number that was given to you a little bit earlier, and uh, we have a gift just to say thank you for coming, and uh, church family, thank you for inviting inviting folks out to be here on this special friend day and as the card said listen friends don't let friends uh worship alone amen and so we need friends and so i'm thankful that you're here today i do want to remind everybody um that at the end of service uh we'll be baptizing here in just a few short moments and so a lot of people say, uh, well, should I be baptized? Well, I know we already have a number of folks signed up, but even if you didn't sign up and you know that you need to be baptized, you want to follow the Lord and believers' baptism, man, I encourage you to come. You want to know why? Because God said so and the water's warm. Amen? It beats getting in a cold tub of water. And the water's warm today. And, uh, you know, our baptism is a part of the Great Commission. After Jesus was resurrected, he, he told his disciples to go into all the world and to teach and to preach and to baptize. And so that's part of the Great Commission. And so a lot of people say, why do you baptize the way you do? Well, some churches baptize what is referred to as uh, uh, pedo-baptism, which is kind of uh, the, the idea of infant baptism, talking about infant baptism and whatnot, but we follow what is called credo-baptism. In other words, credo is the Latin word that just simply means, I believe, I believe. And so uh, if you have trusted Christ as your Savior, you believe that He is the Savior of the world and you have received Him by faith, men, come and be baptized. That's what Jesus did, amen? And so we'll be doing at the end of service, but uh, again, thank you so much uh, for being here. By the way, guys, you'll be going over here to my left, to your right, and ladies, to my right, to your left, right at the end of service. As soon as we start the invitation, you just make your way up. I do want to take just a second on this special Sunday. It's Friend Day, but it's also our 43rd anniversary, and I want to just say thank you uh, to you, the church family. Amen? I just want to uh, just personally thank each and every one of you, but I also want us as a as a body to thank some special ones. And really, we haven't done this in a while and, and it's well overdue. I wanna ask, if you teach a Sunday school class or if you serve in children's ministry uh, in a Sunday school class or if you serve in children's ministry in our uh, 10 a.m. children's worship, if you uh, are part of that, would you just stand and let us be recognized? And I want you to stay standing. Go ahead and stand up. Don't be shy. If you're a teacher and you serve, amen. Yes, stand up. Absolutely. Now, if let's continue this thing. Stay standing. Stay standing. If you serve in the nursery at all, at any time, would you stand? Let's stand up, nursery workers. Amen. 
Yeah. If you work, well, we've already got our youth ministry. If you serve in our youth ministry, middle school ministry, if you're not already standing, go ahead and stand. Uh, also, I want to ask our Awana workers, if you work with our Awana ministry, would you stand? Be, it, be standing up. There you go. Others standing up. And then, as if we didn't get everybody... If you serve, and we've got our media ministry back here, some that are upstairs working behind the scenes that you won't be able to see, but if you are in the choir or the praise team at all, you, you rotate in and out on the praise team, or you sing as a part of the music ministry, would you stand? Amen. Take a look around. The reality is we can't do it on our own. And so I'm eternally grateful for each and every one of you who have a part in the week-to-week ministry here at Battlefield Baptist Church. God bless you. You may be seated. Give them another round of applause. I also, I also want to take just a second to say thank you to some very special people, and that is our staff. Uh, uh, I see Larry and Carl are hiding out in the back, and, and Abby is in the kitchen, bless her heart, Jackie's upstairs, uh, but I, I just, w- would you give them a round of applause for all that they do? I had to take a drink of water for this next one. I want to thank my wife. She puts up with a whole lot, (laughs) but uh, literally she has uh, been by my side since that night or that morning when uh, we were sitting about right about where between where Jim and Rosalie are and Darren and Rose, we were we were sitting right about there when the Lord uh, impressed upon our hearts to uh, come forward and surrender our lives to full time ministry. And I can tell you. It has been a journey, and uh, very, very thankful uh, for my dear wife. She loves me, and uh, she puts up with me. Amen. <laughs> all right, all right. Let's uh, let's do this. Let's open up our our message time kind of thing. I want to talk to you here about something. Oh, okay. All right. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, Ernie. <laughs> See. See, Kathy, see, Kathy, he's not always saying bad things, all right? (laughs) All right, all right, let's do this. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we love you. We thank you that we can gather together to worship and that we could sing songs of praise for your greatness, for your goodness. And the fact that you loved us ought to blow our circuit breaker. The fact that you loved us so much that you willingly sent your son to die for our sins. God, what a gift, what an unspeakable gift that you have bestowed upon us. And so, Father, I pray that you would have your will and your way as we open up your word just for a few moments of time this morning. And God, I pray that something that's said will will penetrate the very, very depths of our heart. God, that we will understand your love in a greater way. God, that we'll respond according to your word and not according to our wishes. 
God, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be acceptable in your sight. We'll be careful to give you the praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, again, I'm so thankful you're here. And man, what a journey it's been. If you have your Bible, John chapter 14. John chapter 14 in the precious word of God. And uh, it's, man, friend day is always a great day, but uh, celebrating the church's 43rd anniversary is amazing. And you think about God's goodness and God's blessings that he has bestowed upon this place over the past 43 years as a church and as a people. And, and people who have had a mind to serve the Lord, people who have had a desire to send missionaries all around the world and people who are being called out of this ministry and serving around the world. What an amazing thing. And I would be remiss if I didn't take time to thank the Lord for our heritage. We're very thankful for our heritage and um, the, the Skinners and the Lord leading them here. And so we give God the glory for that time in which they were able to serve and all that was accomplished in this place. And we praise the Lord for the lives that have been impacted by the gospel. Amen? And, uh, and so uh, truly, as Psalm 118 and verse number 23 says, truly it is of the Lord's doing. Amen? And it's marvelous in our sight. But even as I can testify, and even as maybe some of you can testify, it hasn't always been easy. It hasn't always been easy because the reality, and I, Chuck, it, it amazes me how the Lord works. Because the reality is we live in troubled times. That's what we were starting to talk about a little bit in our Bible study time this morning. We live in troubled times. In fact, it seems like now more than ever before, the reality is we are constantly faced with trouble. Left, right, ahead of us, behind us. Literally, there are wars going on as we meet here this morning. Rumors of wars that continue to circulate and cause anxiety all across the spectrum of the globe. Our country, the good old U.S. of A., America, our country has become a powder keg, if you please, waiting to explode. You look around, it's so sad. You look around and our communities these days, they're filled with crime, filled with corruption, filled with conflict. Our schools, don't get me started. Listen, I'm thankful for our teachers, amen? I'm so thankful. But, but in many who are in the higher up leadership have allowed our schools to become so engrossed with things that have nothing to do with education. I mean, in many of our schools, we're concerned about pronouns and identity. We're concerned about who can use what bathroom. Just use the bathroom, please, right? We're concerned about who can play on what sports teams and on and on. I, I'm, it's troubling times. We've kind of lost our way. Common decency, out the window. Personal decorum has been replaced by the mob mentality. And quite honestly, even God's people struggle with this sometimes. It's a little four-letter word called hate. We have to be careful. Oh, it's so troubling to think about what's going on. And the reality is we're troubled about all kinds of things. I mean, think about it. We're troubled. We, anybody got family troubles? Shh, don't say it. We, we're troubled with family. We're troubled with our jobs. We're troubled. Hey, listen, 2023 and getting ready 2024. We're troubled by finances. Amen. I mean, I got upset at Walmart the other day. I'm just going to confess to you. I have a little fleshly desire. It's called those little miniature apple pies in the bakery. And I'm really upset because they used to be 50 cents a pop. My wife was walking around. 
Judy had just encouraged me to get some cream horns. She was walking by, I saw her cart, and I went over and I thought, you know, self, what do you want? Self, what do you deserve? A 50 cent pie. I was bewildered. I got over to the pie section and it was 74 cents. I was like, what is going, going on in this country? I can't even buy a little miniature pie for 50 cents anymore. We got real problems, don't we? <laughs> trouble is everywhere. We're faced with troubles in and out, and we seem to be troubled all around us. And, and the reality is, the, the good news is you're not alone. I mean, people all through Scripture have been troubled. I, I, I put down a few. Listen, all throughout Scripture we find, you think about in the time of Joseph, uh, Joseph, in Genesis chapter 41, the Bible tells us that Pharaoh, he was troubled by his dreams. After disobeying God, King Saul, he found himself troubled by an evil spirit. Job tells us, that, oh Job, man, he tells us that we're all born unto trouble. I mean, trouble abounds. You think about David. Man after God's own heart is what Scripture says. He was a man after God's own heart. But if you read all throughout David's life, he had some troubling times that he dealt with. Asaph talks about how he was troubled. In Psalm 90, Moses is praying to God, and he actually, he actually uh, declares that all the people are troubled in his prayer to God. Throughout the Psalms and Proverbs, the Bible points out to the fact that wicked people are troubled. The prophet Isaiah served in times of trouble. Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, said in Lamentations 1 that he was in distress and that he was troubled. Oh, King Nebuchadnezzar, he dreamed dreams in Daniel chapter 2, and the Bible says his spirit was troubled. In Daniel's life, he lived and he faced troubles. After hearing, hearing about the newborn king in the New Testament, you remember King Herod, when the Magi came and they told him that there was one born king of the Jews, the king Herod, he was troubled, so troubled that he sent his men all over the region to kill babies. Others in the New Testament were troubled, and even Jesus' closest followers, his disciples, were troubled. And so you're like, hey, pastor, trouble? That's not why I came here today. I came for turkey and mashed potatoes. You're talking about trouble. So what's the answer? We deal with trouble, we're facing trouble. Trouble seems to lurk everywhere, so what can we do? Well, look here in John chapter 14, because in John chapter 14, Jesus, who, by the way, who is the answer himself, he gives his disciples and us an ultimate solution for dealing with trouble. But before we look at the text, you got to understand the situation, because I said his disciples were troubled. And so why would his disciples been troubled? Well, you have to go back a few chapters, and really, you can go out throughout the three-year ministry of Jesus. But in John chapter 11, Jesus goes into the town of Bethany, and he goes to visit Mary and Martha and his good friend Lazarus. You know, he's died. And they've already buried this guy. And they're upset that Jesus hadn't come earlier. And they're like, if you'd have been here, he would have lived. And so Jesus says, oh, no, 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 you don't understand. I'm the resurrection and the life. You don't understand. You don't get it. But the reality is you move on and Jesus raises Lazarus back to life. And in John chapter 11, in verse number 48, the, 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 the chief priest and the Pharisees, they start to scheme because they're like, hey, if we don't do something, there's going to be a problem. And in verse number 48, it says this. It says, if we let him thus alone, all men will believe. 
So guess what it says? It says, hey, they're all going to believe, and we're going to lose, and what they were worried about is their position. They're going to lose their position and their priority and their nation. They say, Rome's going to come. They're going to take it all over. And then verse number 53 in John 11 says, from that day forth, talking about the chief priest and the scribes and the Pharisees, it says, they took counsel together to put him to death. And so there's trouble. Can you imagine being one of his disciples? Just witnessing Jesus raise a man back to life. And then all of a sudden these people are saying, we're going to kill him. And so here's what Jesus does. The Bible says in verse number 54 that Jesus, therefore, it says he no more, he walked no more openly among the Jews, but he went thence unto a country near to the wilderness into a city called Ephraim. And there he continued with his disciples. And so real trouble is lurking. And so Jesus takes his disciples out into the wilderness. I, I had a question. What is it that we do when trouble comes our way? Where do we turn? Where do we go? Do we run and do we hide? Where do they go? And so he takes them out into the wilderness. Look at verse tw John chapter 12. Despite all the threats and the dangers of them trying to kill Jesus, John chapter 12 tells us that Jesus makes his triumphant entry into Jerusalem. And you got some saying, Oh, Santa, blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Right? And so they're screaming and shouting for Jesus in John chapter 12. And if you read the text and you compare it with other gospel accounts, the reality is as soon as he gets into town, Jesus, despite the threat, despite the danger, he goes straight to the temple. And he throws out the table, the money changers' tables. And he starts to teach. And the Bible says in Luke chapter 19, in Luke's gospel, it says he taught daily in the temple, but the chief priests and the scribes and the chief of the people sought to destroy him. More trouble. More trouble is abounding. And so the disciples, can you imagine what they're thinking? Everywhere we go, they want to kill him. Everywhere we go, they're seeking to destroy him. And not only are they trying to destroy him, but they will get us as his followers. And so they were faced with real troubles. You go to John chapter 13. Jesus is eating the Passover feast with his disciples. And you know, many of you know the story. He washes his disciples' feet. And he not only washes his disciples' feet, he starts teaching them. And he tells them, hey, guess what? One of you is going to actually betray me. And he tells them that it's going to be Judas Iscariot. And then you go on to the end of John chapter 13 after he tells them, hey, by the way, I got a new commandment for you. Love one another as I have loved you, right? He gives them that new commandment. And then Peter wants to go where Jesus is going. And Jesus says, hey, you can't go where I'm going. And by the way, not only can you not go where I'm going, in the next day, you're actually going to deny me three times. And so there's trouble everywhere. But just like the master physician, just like the good shepherd, just like the great I am, we get to John chapter 14. And notice, Jesus knowing all things, what is the first Thing he says to his disciples in John chapter 14 he flips the script and he gives them words of consolation and comfort and he says these words let not your hearts be troubled amen I'm so thankful he said let not your heart be troubled oh right away what we need to understand very quickly is that when the son of God says let not your heart be troubled that's pretty important you see, a lot of times in life, we come alongside our friends and we offer words of encouragement and we tell our friends, hey man, don't be troubled. 
Don't be discouraged. I love you. God loves you. And while that may be uh, a soothing for a momentary time in history, the reality is when Jesus says it, it's pretty significant. And so he says here, look at verse 1. He says, he says, let not your heart be troubled. And so what he's doing, he's in the process. Now watch this. He's going to lay two foundational stones for you and me on how we can deal with trouble. Not only now, but forever and ever. Notice he says in verse 1, he says, let not your heart be troubled. And then he continues by saying these words. He says, if you believe in God, he says, believe in me also. So in other words, what he was telling his disciples and what he's telling us is that our faith and our belief in him will be foundational. And by the way, he's saying it'll be the only way for us to face the troubles that we face today, tomorrow, and the next day, and the next day. Anybody ever tried to deal with trouble on your own? Every day, try to deal with trouble on your own? Absolutely. I got news for you. When we try to deal with trouble, it doesn't work too well, right? We have to have someone that takes care of our trouble for us. And any attempt, any attempt to build on any other foundation than Jesus will fail. Amen? Even my little friend is saying the same thing. Preaching a message. Praise the Lord. You know what? We ought to give thanks for that, that right there. The beautiful breath of life given to that child. You say, does that frustrate you? No, it's, uh, it makes me excited. That was the only amen I've had in five minutes. <laughs> it took a child to get you all to wake up. No, I'm just teasing. What a blessing. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, in verse number 11, for other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Proverbs, the writer of Proverbs, Solomon, the wise man, he tells us in Proverbs 14, 12, he, he says this, he says, there's a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the way thereof are the ways of death. You see, we have a way of dealing with things, and sometimes the way that we deal with things, if we're really honest, are not the way that God deals with them. Sometimes we want to put our stamp on things. And God says, hey, listen, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In other words, I don't need you to put your stamp on things. I'm going to take care of your trouble. He proceeds, look in verse number two. Jesus proceeds by sharing another foundational stone. He says here, in my father's house are many mansions. And then he says, if it were not so, I would have told you. In other words, he says, hey, in my father's house are many mansions. And by the way, I don't lie. So you can bank on it. That's exactly what he's saying. And the word house actually comes from the Greek word oikie. Oikie, not, 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 not Ikea, but oikie. Like I know some of y'all are thinking Ikea right now. No, oikia. He says, listen, and here's what it means. It means a residence, an abode, i.e., watch this, a family home. What, what a beautiful thing. He says, hey, listen. He says, in my father's home, in my father's home, listen, you can have a house all you want, but a home is where I want to go. Hey, you know, know something? My mom and dad are here today. My dad's over here in the spiffy chair. You better watch out. He'll run over you, right? Do you know something 
about home, there's always, watch this, whenever I go home, there's always ample provision. There's always ample provision. And listen, I, listen, I understand not everybody had this growing up, but I want, you to, I want you to notice something. When I go home, it doesn't matter how many of my brothers or sisters have gotten there before me. Typically, my youngest brother is going to get there the first, right? He looks just like my dad. I mean, they're like clones. He's probably already gotten there. He's probably already commandeered the extra bedroom. But can I tell you when I get home, you know what's going to be waiting for me? My mom and dad will lovingly welcome me home. They'll always be there. It's like when I, when I, when I get home, it's my dad, well, look who's here. Oh, Judy, Judy. And you know what? The first thing my dad always wants to do, he wants to hug me and kiss me. I always receive a loving welcome. When I go home, it's a time of reunion. It's a time of reunion. Listen, there's never a time that I go home that my mom doesn't have the coffee maker ready for me. It's a time of reunion. It's a time of fellowship. It's a time of sweet peace. It's a sweet time of peace and rest. And folks, can I tell you, whether you experience that in this life, you can experience in the life to come because heaven is going to be all those things and much, much more. It's going to be a time of reunion. It's going to be a time of rest. It's going to be a time of never, ever-ending supply. Because in my father's home, Jesus said, he said, there are many mansions. He said, if it were not so, I would have told you so. By the way, when Jesus says many mansions, and I know some of your versions, some of your uh, versions of scripture say many rooms or many places, whatever it says. He says many mansions. I like, I like this version better because it says many mansions, right? But the reality is when Jesus says many mansions, He's literally talking about a given place. He's not talking about a 2,400 square foot room or mansion. He's not talking about a 6,000 square foot uh, beach home. He's talking about a given place. He's saying there are many mansions in my father's home. In other words, he's saying there is plenty of room. In fact, the word many actually comes from the word pulas and literally means much or plenteous. And so Jesus, in this moment, when he says, in my Father's house are many mansions, he's actually revealing to you and me that heaven is more than just some idea. It's more than some celestial notion or a state of being, like, oh, I'm out here in a state of being. He's saying it is a prepared place, and I'm going to prepare it for you. Amen. By the way, the word place, if you're not convinced... The Greek word that is translated as the English word place is actually the word topos. And it actually means a spot that is a location, a position, a home, or a tract. Who knows? Maybe we got a tract of land up there. We don't even know. But here's what I do know. There is much room. There is plenty of room. Listen, everything we need, there is ample provision in a place called heaven 
Oh, heaven is a prepared place for prepared people. Now let me just let me just state there's nothing that you can do, there's nothing that I can do to get there, but it's a prepared place for prepared people. You see, we cannot do anything to merit our entrance into such a place, but that by our faith, by our acceptance of what God through his only begotten son Jesus Christ has done, you and I can have a place in heaven. Isn't that good? Oh, yes, by faith. By the way, the word heaven is talked about all through Scripture. In fact, it's found and referenced over 500 times in the Old Testament and the New Testament combined. And so when you compare the Hebrew and the Greek together, when we consider this idea of heaven, the reality is it's talking about a place lifted up or a place on high. Can I just say it's way beyond just looking up at the sky. It's way beyond, where's my man James Granahan? It's way beyond looking beyond the moon and the stars in the celestial realm. Oh, it's way up there. Oh, heaven is an amazing place. In fact, people all through time have had a hard time describing it. In fact, the Apostle Paul, here's what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse number 9. He says, but as it is written, I hath not seen nor ear heard nor have either entered the heart of man the things which God has, see the word right there, prepared for them that love him. Oh, it was Abraham in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse number 10. He says that they were looking for a city who has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. He, along with some other Old Testament saints, in Hebrews chapter 11, 16, they desired, the Bible says, a better country, a heavenly. Can I encourage you? Don't get caught up with worrying about the first heaven, the second heaven, or the third heaven. And, and I know we may have some real estate folks out here today. And I know in real estate, you know what they always say, Location, location, location. But I would argue that location is not as important as who's there. Man, wouldn't, I mean, my wife would like to think that heaven looks like Myrtle Beach. She loves her some beach. But it's not about, it's not about where heaven is it's about who is there and so the reality is revelation and you can read all about heaven in revelation 21 the new heaven and the new earth in revelation 21 and 22 it talks about it being a glorious place but the reality it's a place where jesus is it's a place where i believe where our believing loved ones are it's a place one step watch this beyond our last breath one step beyond our last heartbeat Last night, our dear sister took her heavenly flight. Oh, Vicki Wilcox, she's enjoying eternity. We ought to be a little jealous right now. Because the Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. She took her heavenly journey. Oh, listen, look back at verse 3 and 4. i got to wrap this up. Jesus says, And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And then notice verse 4, because he says this, and, I, and whither I go, you know, and the way you know. So in other words, the translation of what he's saying right here is he's telling his disciples, he says, Hey, you guys, you guys actually know where and you know how to get where I'm going. 
you know where I'm going and you know how to get where I'm going. But if you look at verse number five, Thomas, he says these words. He says, Lord, he says, we know not where you're going. We don't know where you're going. And how can we know the way? In other words, Thomas says, how can I be sure of this place called heaven? How can I know the way how to get there? I mean, you're confusing us. We're living in troubled times. People are trying to kill you. We're running for our life left and right. And you're saying, you're preparing a place for us in heaven? And how do we know how to get there? Jesus answers Thomas's question. And quite frankly, not only does he answer Thomas's question, he puts an end to any other thought any other debate or any other question on the topic. Look at verse number six. He says these words to Thomas. He says, Thomas, you can know the way. He says, here's what he says. He says, I, he says, I am the way. I am the truth and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. Oh, listen, it's been said that without the way, there is no going. Jesus said, I'm the way. Without the truth, there is no knowing. Jesus said he was the truth. And without him being the life, there is no living. Oh, listen. In 1 John chapter 5 and verse 11 and 12, the Bible says, and this is the record that God has given unto us eternal life. Stop right there for a second. God has given unto us eternal life. He has done everything required for you to have eternal life. You need nothing, you need to do nothing except for trust him by faith. That's it. You exercise a little bit of faith and you say, yes, Lord, I believe in God and I also believe in you. Yes, Lord, I believe you're going to prepare a place for me. And yes, Lord, I want to be where you're at. I want to have a heavenly home someday. I want to go to that prepared place for prepared people. That's it. And so this is what he says. And the reality is many people have their own thoughts on how to get there. A lot of, a lot of people think, man, if I just do good, if I just... If I serve the Lord, if I just serve other people, if I give to ministries, if I give to parachurch ministries, if I do all these things, I can get to heaven. But Jesus answers and says, no. He says, God has given unto us eternal life. Look at verse 12 of 1 John chapter 5. And he says, and this life is in his son. Verse 12, he that hath the son hath life, and he that hath not the son of God hath not life. It really doesn't matter what I think. It really doesn't matter what we think we have in this life. Without Jesus, watch this, without Jesus, we will not be able to enjoy the splendors and the glory and all that has been prepared for those that love him. Isaiah chapter 64 and verse 6 says that we are all as an unclean thing, all our righteousness as filthy rags. And Jesus went on to say that he was the only way and that no man cometh to the Father. You look back there in verse 6. He says, no man cometh unto the Father but by me. Folks, religion won't do it. Being a Baptist won't get you to heaven. Being a Methodist won't get you to heaven. Being a Presbyterian, Episcopalian, uh, you name it, being a Catholic, they, those things will not get you to heaven. Jesus said, I'm the only way you get to heaven. And by faith, we can trust in the risen Savior of the world. We can trust what he says. Oh, listen, I wonder if you've ever given any time, any thought, any attention to the journey that you're on and what comes next after this life. I can tell you 
that I've had the occasion to be around those who are in their last moments of life. As many of our men who have served as pastors and, and lay people down through the ages, I've been able to hold the hand and sing songs with people as they're getting ready to go out into eternity. I can tell you one thing, Vicki Wilcox was not worried about where she was headed. By the way, I gave her the mini message on Thursday late night. We were in the hospital room and I was telling her all about heaven. Oh, she understood. She knew where she was going and she was at peace. Oh, listen, the Bible tells us this and I didn't give the guys this, but I want to read to you in 1 John. Here's what the Bible says in 1 John chapter 2. In verse number 1 and 2, the Bible says, My little children, these things write I unto you, that you sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father. I'm glad I have an advocate. Jesus Christ, the righteous. It says, and he is the propitiation. He is the propitiation for our sins. He's the, he's the redeemer. He's the payment. He's the atonement for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And if you go back to our text in verse number two, here's what Jesus says. He says, guess what? Scripture just says, I'm the, I'm the Savior. I'm the payment for the sins of the whole world. And then you go back into verse number two, and he says, in my Father's house are many mansions. And if it were not so, I would have told you. And so here's, here's the reality. There's plenty of room in heaven. I'm so thankful there's plenty of room. The teenagers and the kids, we used to sing this song, In My Father's House. It's a big, big house with lots, lots of room. A big, big yard where we can, I don't even know this, play football. It's a big, big table with lots and lots of food. Yeah, some of y'all remember that song. Oh, there's plenty of room in heaven. But here's the reality. A reservation is required. I've had the occasion to make a few dinner reservations before. And I've had the occasion to get to the restaurant only to find out that my reservation was not in the book. Can I tell you? The Bible makes it very clear that we must have a reservation. In fact, in Revelation 21, in verse number 27, here's what the Bible says. It says, There shall in no wise enter into it, speaking of heaven, anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh an abomination, or maketh a lie. Watch who gets to go in heaven. But they, watch it, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life, in other words, there needs to be a time, a time and a place when you and I, when we have recognized our need and by faith we have believed in what God has revealed and we trust in what God has promised. We've been talking about that in Hebrews chapter 11 study. There has to be a time when we exercise faith. It's not just by osmosis. We understand by faith what God has done through Jesus Christ. There has to be a time and a place when we by faith trust Jesus for the forgiveness of sin and everlasting life. Jesus said in Mark chapter 8 in verse number 36, he said, for what shall it profit a man if he should gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Can I just lovingly say this? Because this next verse is kind of hard. Romans chapter 3 and verse 10 says there's none righteous, no, not one. There's none who are righteous, no, not one. The reality is all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. 
And the Bible tells us, listen, that death, spiritual death, is the wage that we earn for our sinfulness. But the Bible says also in Romans chapter 6 and verse 23, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so the reality is, listen, we can go to this beautiful, wonderful place called heaven by faith. You say, what does it cost me? Exercising some faith. It didn't cost you anything. It cost you the idea of believing that Jesus Christ became the propitiation for your sin. Listen, in fact, Titus chapter 3 and verse number 5, the Bible says, Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. Oh, listen, Jesus became, he became sin for us. 2 Corinthians 5, 21 says, So that you and I could be made the righteousness of God in him. And so the Bible says that we must believe. Romans 10, 9 says, If thou wilt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thy heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Folks, can I tell you, Romans 10, 13 makes it pretty clear. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I remember, and I close with this, I remember when I, remember, I'm sure everyone here remembers where you grew up. And uh, I have this habit that I, I drive by all the places that I lived. And my boys know, my boys have done that before. I'll, I'll take them by, and I'll drive them by, and, and I'll say, there it is. Like it's some big memorial, right? Monument. I'm like, there it is. There's where I grew up. And they're always underwhelmed. <laughs> I'm sorry, Mom. Sorry, Dad. They're always underwhelmed. They're like, you live there? You know? But the reason I guess I go by is because when I go by those places, it reminds me of home. I go by and I look at them. I, I take pictures with my phone now. It's like weird. It's like I could close my eyes and remember what they look like, right? But I guess as I'm getting older, I don't want to forget. And so I go by and I take pictures. But here's the deal. And mom knows this. When my brothers and sisters and I were younger, we did something that young people don't do anymore. We actually played outside. We actually played kickball. My brothers and I would attempt to break windows on other houses by playing baseball with a tennis ball. We'd play basketball. We would play football like it was our like like we thought we were going to be in the NFL one day. We'd play hide-and-seek, and all these games. But here's what I remember. I remember when I was a kid, as it would start to get dark, I would hear my dad, I would hear my mom, Kids! Kids! Come inside! Greg Allen! That's the one. That gets your attention. Greg Allen! It's time to come inside. Get in here, you people. <laughs> Whatever. And here's what they'd say. It's getting dark. 
supper's about ready. And I remember when my dad and mom said supper's about ready and you got eight kids, they come running. <laughs> you know, you know what Jesus is saying today? He's saying, kids, kids, come on. It's so dark out. You're living in dark times. It's, it's dark. You need to come in now. You need to wash up. You need to get ready. Because it's about supper time. The reality is, we have a Savior who has prepared it all. And all we must do is call upon Him by faith. Say, Lord, I don't understand it all, but I believe you are who you say you are. That's called faith. That's exercising faith. Lord, would you forgive me? I know that you died for me. Would you forgive me? Listen, I can tell you the devil doesn't want you to be saved, but Jesus does. So in the moment, can we just have a word of prayer? Can we just pray? Maybe you're here with every head bowed. Maybe you're here and you say, Pastor, I've never done that. I've never called upon the name of the Lord. But I want to go to heaven. I understand what you're trying to put down now. I understand that Jesus is saying, it's getting late. It's time to come in. Would you just, would you just consider right now? You say, Pastor, I've never trusted Christ. Can I tell you that it's not about what you do? It's not about uh, any specific prayer that you say. But in faith, the desire of your heart, in faith, if you'll call upon the name of the Lord, He will forgive you. He will hear you. And He will give you a home in a prepared place for all eternity. And you don't have to worry about the trouble of today, the trouble of tomorrow. Hey, by the way, those things won't go away. But one day we can know that we will be with Jesus. You say, Pastor, I want to do that. Would you just pray? Just ask him. It's, again, just say, Jesus, I don't understand it all. But in this moment, I'm asking you to be the Savior of my life. I'm asking you to forgive me. I'm asking you to come into my life and change me from the inside out. Thank you, Jesus, for saving my soul. If that's the desire of your heart, and you meant it, and you really meant it, you want to have a home in heaven, would you just look at me? Just look at me as a testimony. God bless you, young man. I see you, young lady. Someone else. Someone else. I see you, young ladies, back here. God bless you all. Somebody say, I see you, sir. I see you. That's a big decision. Praise the Lord for that. Somebody else say, I trusted Christ. I see you, young man. Somebody else say, I'm making my way. Young lady, bless your heart. I want to have a home in heaven. I'm trusting Christ as my Savior. Somebody else Somebody else, I see you, young man. I know you've trusted Christ. Praise the Lord. Somebody else, say, I've trusted Christ today. God bless you, man. Bless your heart. I see you, young lady. It's the greatest decision you can ever make. Because guess what? It's guaranteed. Jesus said, in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there you may be also. And can I tell you by faith, when you trust in Christ, you get it all. Amen? 
Maybe you're here and you know Jesus as your Savior. But you say, Pastor, would you pray for me? I'm going through a troubled time in my life. And I would just appreciate your prayers. You say, Pastor, pray for me. Look at me. I'll pray for you. God bless you. God bless you. Yes, bless your all's hearts. I see you. Yes, ma'am. Bless your heart. Somebody, sir, you know I'm praying for you always. Somebody else. Yes, yes, I see your hearts. Anybody else? Yes, I see you. Bless your hearts. I'm so good, glad to see you all today. What a blessing. Father, we love you. We thank you for what you've done. We thank you for how you have heard the desires of your people, how you have saved souls today, Lord. Because of what you have done on the cross, because of everything that you have given us, we shall be with you one day. And Lord, we give you the praise for it. God, now as we open up this time of invitation, I pray those that need to follow the Lord in believers' baptism will come. And God, you'll be honored and glorified through it all. And we give you the praise for it in Jesus' name. And for his sake, amen.